0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: There are going to be people in your life, you guys, that are quick to tell you, if I was you, this is what I would do, right? Some of y'all got people like that. You know, you you may be sharing a scenario or situation and they say, hey, if I was you, I just want to counsel us, challenge us, that as Christians... We have access to someone that King Ahasuerus did not have access to. He was doing the best he could as a pagan Persian king with no relationship with the Lord. I guess the best you can do is listen to the people around you. But you and I have one way better than that. Amen?
0: Are there people in your life that like to tell you what's best? How do you respond in these moments? Today, in his message, Pastor Bill explains that even when you think that you know what's best, or even if you trust the opinions of others, God's plan will always be the most perfect. No matter how hard you work or how well things seem to be going, God will never cease to work everything for your good. Give Him the reins and check your pride in at the door. Let God transform you from the inside out. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther, Chapter 2, as he begins his message, The Hand of God.
1: Esther, Chapter 2, The Hand of God. So, uh, we're going to see God's providence. We'll see God's hand at work through situations, even through difficult things. So, uh, Esther, Chapter 2, when you get it, say, got it. Father in Heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the book of Esther. And, What you're teaching us and are going to teach us about you, the invisible hand of God, the providence of God in Esther's life and Mordecai's life. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us that even when we can't see it, you're at work. Even when we don't understand what's going on and why this has been allowed and why that happened, that God, you're at work. Reveal truth to us that will help us to walk with you more closely uh, we give you this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, "Amen." All right. So, brief recap in Esther chapter one, we got introduced to kind of our first characters: the king of Persia, as uh, a big part of the book. A king named as King Ahasuerus. Um, he had a wife at the time she was the queen, uh, didn't last long, right? She, uh, like those, like, you know, so they say some people die at the first part of the horror movie. I'm not going to say who they are, but you know, she didn't last long. She was out of there pretty quick. So, uh, queen Vashti, uh, she didn't last very long. The king got drunk, uh, at his feast that he was giving the end of a, it was a 180 day feast with a seven day feast, uh, for the common folk at the end of it and he was clearly drunk and wanted to bring his wife over and show her off and her beauty off to the men in probably some ungodly way some some way that she wasn't comfortable with so she said no i'm not coming she was having a party with the ladies and her refusal to come upset not it upset the king but it upset his men more so they were like king if you let her get away with this, all our wives are going to start telling us no too. You got to do something about this. We'll tell you what you should do, king. You should banish her, kick her out, and we'll get a, a new queen. And the king went with what they had said. So I got to give you this, right? The first words of chapter 2 is after these things. So there's quite a gap. Um, let me give you the, uh, if you're a note taker, just write these down. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says that it was the third year of of his reign that he made this feast and all this stuff went down. That was year three of his reign. Look at chapter two, verse 16, where it says, so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus and in it into the Royal palace in the 10th month, which is the, t- uh, the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. So, It's been four years. There's a four years, a big gap between chapter one and chapter two. I want to just point that out in the beginning because there's some things that have transpired. Um, He's obviously had time to sober up and remember what he had done. Remember what happened to Vashti. Uh, Some other things happened in between those four years. Uh, King Ahasuerus in those four years, he was not a very successful king um, in, in terms of the things that he tried to do himself. He had tried to invade Greece. And he came back home defeated. It was an unsuccessful attempt to invade Greece. So I believe he came home defeated from, you know, failing at at war. And now we don't got no wife. And he comes home. And he's probably just depressed, kicking cans. And that's where we end up at chapter 2, verse 1. Y'all with me? So Esther chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what had been decreed against her. So after all these things, he's sitting there saying, he probably is, this is what I'm thinking, right? Things are pretty terrible for him at this point, right? Just lost that battle, came back home, I ain't got no woman. And he's sitting there, he's probably thinking of better times. He's probably sitting there thinking like, Man, I had it going on when he threw the feast. If you guys remember chapter one, he was, he was showing out. He was like, Hey guys, I'm the King. I got it going on. 180 day just to show you that I throw down like that seven extra day feasts for the common folk. Cause I can do that too. He was showing out for everybody at that point in time. And so he was feeling pretty good about himself four years ago. And queen Vashti was there probably was doing all right as the queen and everything else. And I think that now he's sitting here saying, man, I'm just, I, I, you know, just feeling bad about everything. He says he remembered Vashti and doesn't tell us what he remembered, but he remembered her. I I think he's looking back at better days for him and considering how he got here. I want to point out something I see about King Ahasuerus that I think is a bad trait. When it's time for him to make decisions, other people are telling him what to do. Every, every, he got people in his ear and he heeds their counsel. It was them that told him what you should do, you know, is get rid of it. Let me tell you this, because there are going to be people in your life, you guys, that are quick to tell you, if I was you, this is what I would do, right? Some of y'all got people like that. You know, you, you may be sharing a scenario or a situation, and they say, hey, if I was you, I just want to counsel us, challenge us, that as Christians, we have access to someone that King Ahasuerus did not have access to. He was doing the best he could as a pagan Persian King with no relationship with the Lord. I guess the best you can do is listen to the people around you, but you and I have one way better than that. Amen. We have access to Jesus Christ. We have access to God. Almighty knows everything can do anything and is available to you 24 hours a day through prayer. You can contact him. You can lift up your requests. You can ask your questions. And so we don't have to be dependent solely upon those around us. We have the word of God to give us direction. We have prayer. And I'm not against counsel. The Bible says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors, but your counselors need to be Bible talkers. Amen. Your counselors need to say, as they get done counseling, they need to be they need to be able to tell you where you can find that chapter and verse of what they just told you to do. And so he didn't have access to this because he was a pagan king. But I just want to point out that it's a flaw in his leadership is that he's not really leading. He's being led by everybody around him, telling him what they think he should do. And so moving on, he's remembering what had happened. Verse 2 says, then the king's servants who attended him said, let beautiful, look at this, they, they're making new suggestions. They say, they see he's sad. They said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Sushan the citadel into the woman's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women. And let beauty preparations be given to them. Then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. And look at what it says again at the end of verse four. This thing pleased the king and so he did. And so, once again, the people have told him what they think he should do. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to do that too. Um, and that's just his leadership style. So, I, I just want to point out to you guys that you being a child, a son, or a daughter of God, you got a better situation than King Ahasuerus has. So, he made mistakes while drunk. Then he got counsel from the people around him. Now he's lost in battle. He's feeling bad about his current situation. Now the same people that told him to get rid of the king, the queen that he's lamenting, they're, they're telling him this is what we're going to do. We're going to do essentially, we're going to put this beauty pageant. We're going to collect all the beautiful versions, bring them all to sushi and the Citadel and whichever one pleases you the most. That'll be the new queen. She'll be, you'll have a new wife. And so, let me say this, right? Because a lot of times, if you watch a movie on Esther, uh, the Veggie Tale on Esther, it's kind of romanticized that you know these women are going to get to be the queen. Um, it, 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 and, and I want to I want to unromanticize it a little bit. This is this is this is not as romantic as it may seem. This this is not a Cinderella story. This is not uh you know this is a this is a, this is a pagan king. What's going to happen to these women that come in? Uh, Let me explain something about the the life in the harem. Um, Secular historian Josephus said that in this collection of women, there were about 400 women that were brought in to the harem for this. So as they went around collecting the beautiful versions, 400 of them were were picked. Now, for the young women, um, I'm pretty sure they all would, would probably hope to be queen because if you don't get picked to be the queen, guess what you get to be? You get to be one of three hundred ninety-nine women in the harem who can never get married, who can never hope to have a husband and kids and a normal. You're just going to be in the harem. That's that's going to be your new life. If the king ever wants you and calls upon you, you'll be available for that. But if not, you're, you, for the rest of your life, you'll be there. You'll be in the palace. I'm pretty sure you'd be eating good food and drinking good drink. But that'll be the end. That'll be your life. And so I don't think that that's what a lot of young women were hoping for. Uh, maybe some of them were like, you know, yay, we, we, are going to live large in the harem, but we can't have a man. Um, so I don't, you know, you guys figure out if you think that's a good deal or not, but I just want to understand, I want you to understand that's what's happening here. Um, they're being brought in, uh, you know, based on their beauty and their status as virgins, and they're going to be picked the one that pleases the King. Now, Hey is the custodian of the King's harem. We talked about the King had eunuchs. Uh, These are men that have been emasculated. They're no threat to, you know, to the women that are present. They're there just to care for the women um, that are in the harem. And so Haggai is the guy that's in charge of that. Um, Now look down verse five. Uh, We're going to, we're getting introduced to my, my, I, who I think is the unsung hero of the book of Esther, my man, Mordecai. So um, in chapter uh, two, verse five, it says in Shushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem uh, with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadessa, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So first of all, Mordecai has gone through some things himself. He has lost family in in this in the, the, the different things that have gone on with the Jews as they were moved from one place to another. As they were exiled from here and moved back to there. He's suffered the loss of family. Um, But now he's got this, this, this cousin, Esther's his cousin. How many of you guys have cousins that are so much older that they're like an uncle or an aunt, right? So I have some, I have some aunts and uncles. I have some cousins that I, my whole life, I call them aunt or uncle because they were that much older when I was a little kid. So in my mind, even though they were relationally a cousin, they were like an aunt or an uncle that's Mordecai to Esther and Mordecai realizes she has nobody left. Her parents have both died. And he says, I'm, I'm going to take her on as a daughter. Um, that to me, I mean, he's, he's stepping in to the role of a father for someone that is, it's not my child, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility. And he does an excellent job of doing that in her life. Um, Mordecai, he's, again, he's a cousin of Esther. He came to Persia and one of the waves of relocation that the Babylonians imposed on Judah when they conquered that land Again, I believe he's a stand-up guy and he take he steps into a position to do something he didn't have to do. Here we get the two names for Esther. We got Hadassah, that's her Jewish name, which means myrtle, if you're a note taker. So Hadassah means myrtle. And then we have Esther, which is her Persian name, which means star. And so, we, you know, we'll be talking about Esther for the rest of the book. That's her Persian name. Much like when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they got to Babylon, they had their Hebrew names and they were all renamed. They were all given uh, Babylonian names um, at that point in time. So um, she was there. We know that she was an orphan uh, because of both her parents had died. She's being cared for by this older cousin. Um, and it says this at the end of verse 7. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. Now in the Hebrew, it literally means this beautiful in form and lovely to look at. So this is the Bible very carefully in a very holy way. The Bible is saying she got a pretty face and a banging body. That's essentially what it, it says, the same thing about uh, Joseph. So for you ladies that are like the Bible is exploiting, no said about Joseph too. So, um, you know, but when the, the Bible says that you were pretty and, and had a nice body, then you, you pretty and you had a nice body. Amen. So now let me say this because I want to, as we go through the night, I want to look at the providence of God. So much of what happens in Esther's life, at least up until this point, she has nothing to do with. Does Esther have anything to do with the fact that her parents died when she was young? No. Does she have anything to do with the fact that she's left in the care of Mordecai? No. Does she have anything to do with the fact that she's beautiful in form and feature? No. God did all that. Y'all agree? God did all that. So, you know, up until this point, everything in her life is by God's providence god has just allowed that done that for her there'll be some things later where she you know she does some things but at this point you haven't done anything this god brought you to this place i bring that up for this because maybe there are people watching this maybe there are people listening to this that question god how come this how come i was raised like that would you guys agree that she's had a pretty jacked up start in life right but she still, you know, she she had, a, she had a rough start. Parents died in the midst of captivities and, and, and moving back and forth and all this stuff being cared for by who. Where's the woman in her life? Where's the woman that give her lady stuff and not there? She didn't have any of those things. This is a difficult, different kind of life that she's living. But we're going to see that the Lord is with her and that God has a purpose and a plan for Esther. And God is going to make use of even the difficult things in her life. God is going to make use of it eventually and we see that with many characters in scripture that they had a rough things happen difficult things happen undesirable things take place but as they would continue with the lord as they would obey god god would take those difficult things and turn them into good he would he would turn them he would he would turn those things that seemed like painful unnecessary things and turn them into purposeful things in people's lives i think of joseph and how the lord took all the pain that he went through and purposed it later on that he would save all the people he would be used to save everybody, even, even his family members that had done him wrong. You know, Esther's gonna be used eventually to save the entire Jewish nation at, at this time in history. You know, there there are others in 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 Bible times, there are others in our times that God has allowed difficult things, but he flips it. Here's the here's the here's what has to happen. Those people have to continue with the Lord, right? If you bail on the Lord, maybe we never see the good God was gonna do. If you turn your back on God, no, I don't know why you let that happen to me. How ah, I'm not going to, you know, maybe we never see what God would do. Job, God let jacked up stuff happen to Job. God tells us in the first chapter, Job is a good dude, upright, famous. I mean, it's upright, blameless, not famous. Fears God, shuns evil, right? God, God's own admission. Job is, is, he's a good dude. God brags on Job to the devil. God says to Satan, he says, hey, where you been? Have you considered my servant? Have you checked him out? Look at him, upright, blameless, fierce God. There's none like him in the land. Check him out. And God makes this a negotiation with Satan and lets him do stuff to him, take all his wealth, uh, jack up his health, um, put words in his wife's mouth. You know, ultimately, you know, ruin everything in his life except, you know, kill him. And then at the end of the Book of Job, right? God extends his life. God lets him see his kids and grandkids for three generations, restores kids to him, um, puts everything back together again. And so God turns that into good. And now we got the book of Job. So we know when we know that bad things can happen to good people. Amen. Some people say, well, how come bad things happen to good people? Um, You know, and, and the reality is why do good things happen to bad people? That's, well, I don't know why we don't ask that one, right? Everybody want to know why the bad things happen to good people, but why the good things happen? Because all of us is bad people. Why the good things happen to you? We should be asking that question, but I digress. Um, so back to Esther uh, and, and Mordecai, he is um, taking her in. Uh, I want to say this, Mordecai's name, if you look it up, it means little man, right? Not not really what most men want to be called, you know? Most guys, if you, if you want to offend a man, they say, what's up, little man? You know, you can say that to a little kid, but you don't really want to say that to a grown man, even if he is little. Um, but that's what his name means. And even though he may be, he may have been little in stature or that may have just been his name. He's not a little man in terms of his life and his impact. Um, he His name may mean little man, but Mordecai is a man that has significant impact uh, because of the kind of man he was, because of the kind of character that he has. Um, and so, again, he steps up to take care of his female cousin. And and maybe for some of, of us today watching, for some of us men, if we can take a lesson from Mordecai, maybe this is a reminder for you to be an active spiritual leader in the lives of your own children. In the lives of those that God has put under your care. Maybe, maybe watching Mordecai step up to be a father figure for this young woman. That's not his, but he's saying she needs a man and I'm the man in her life. I'm going to step in. I'm going to be her dad. I'm going to teach her the things of God. I'm going to cover her. I'm going to look out for her. I'm going to counsel her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to be concerned about how she's doing. He does that for someone that's not even his. And today we got men that are out there to have kids that are their own and they're not concerned and they're not stepping up. So maybe, Mordecai is an example for some of us men that we need to step up and and, and really fulfill God's calling on our life uh, over our children, those that God has put under our care. Also, it's possible, right? Maybe there are men or women that are watching this, and there may be in your life young men or young women that don't have a dad, don't have a mom, and God has put you there. Would you step in and be for somebody else what they don't have? Maybe God put put you in some people's life and you you're going to be the dad for this era. You're going to you're going to show them what a godly man is like or what a godly woman is like and and not because they belong to you, not because they're yours, but because God has put them in your life and they're looking to you. And so maybe some of us can take from this example and and step into something that God put before us. Um and and see how God might use it because look at the fruit of of this, right? Mordecai is not going to be the one to save the Jewish people. But this this pretty little girl that he raised and protected, she is, right? She's going to be the one. God's going to use her to do it. And so moving on, now look at verses 8 and 9. It says, so it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when the when the many young women were gathered at Sushan the Citadel under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken, note was taken, to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custody of the women, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him and she obtained favor, so he readily gave her beauty preparations besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So, a couple of things happen here in verses eight and nine. First, after the king's decree went out to go pick all the virgin women out, I told you guys that the secular historian Josephus says there about 400 women were picked up in this wave of of collection of virgin girls um, to you know to see which one will get to be queen. Um, I want you to note that if they weren't going around saying, "Hey, do you want to come? Hey, hey, would you like to come? You, you you couldn't turn the king down. Y'all understand that? So when they rolled up, when the king's men rolled up and said, "Hey, now I want you to imagine what this would be like. Imagine all you women were there." And the king was, no, 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 her. I want her right there. You come on. Um, I wonder how offensive that might have been to those that were like, nah, 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 you know, but, you know, they were picking whoever they were picking and it wasn't optional. They weren't able to say, I don't want to go. They they weren't. If you, were, if you were a virgin, you were beautiful. You were, you were, you know, the king has need of you in his harem right now and you got to come. So um, I want you to understand this, this might not have been the blessing to everybody, maybe to some, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I was trying to think if there's anything in our culture like this at all. And not really, but I I thought of a couple things that maybe just give us an idea. Uh, There's some of these shows. I think they're pretty stupid. I'll say that right up front. So uh, like the bachelorette or the bachelor. So they'll, they'll have some guy or some guy is the prize. And then they got the show is all these women that are hoping to get picked to be, his wife, and so they go on dates, and they do things on the show, and the women get to live together and fight and be catty, and you know all that's messy. You know, I think those shows are just for that, just to create a bunch of drama and mess. I don't think those marriages work. I don't think those people stay together. Um, you know, it's just for for TV or whatever. But imagine all those women coming, and and everybody's many of them hoping that they're going to be the one. Can you imagine what the atmosphere was like there?
0: Have you ever found yourself in the middle of something and thought, why me? In this series, Pastor Bill Buffington is focusing on the life of two main characters that would change how the people of Susa saw God as their king forever. That's right, we're diving into the book of Esther. Esther 414 says this, If you keep quiet at times like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. The queen of course is one of our lead roles Esther. The ending quote is known all around the world but often the first part of the verse is left out. The next time you find yourself asking the question why me? Remember the story of Esther and how she rose to the challenge. But it would seem under the threat of death Thank God that we have the choice today to step up and rise to the occasion with the confidence that God is there with us. He will give you the strength you need for such a time as this. Thanks for listening to A Transforming Word. As you let the word transform you, it will inevitably lead to transforming the world around you too. A Transforming Word is in ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. You can check us out at calvaryinglewood.org. And then, if you're in the area, make plans to come see us in person. We've got something for everyone. Once again, that website is calvaryinklerwood.org. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back, and we hope you will too. See you next time, right here on A Transforming Word.